Listening Dog Media. Kisses in the Dark, a pod play series from Mank May Productions and Listening Dog Media. With performances from Kyle Rowe, Pamela Mayos, Stephen Gidwani, Patrick Price, and Ryan Clayton. Also starring Rhiannon Clements and Con O'Neill. Written by Marty Ross. I must have slept a while, dreamed even. Some dream like being buried in crumples of wet black cloth. I woke to the sound of the phone ringing, fumbled about still half asleep in a still full darkness, picked it up. And then I was very awake. It was Tom's boss at the pleasure beach throwing a right strop, demanding to know how come Tom had quit his shift, him and that other fella too. They'd gone, he said, and left the whole bloody place unguarded. And what did I know about it? I told him I didn't know any more than he did. Put the phone down. Shit. What had that silly bastard gone and done now? What was he going to do when he got back? I sat a while and waited, then dressed and rushed out to work, hoping I wouldn't bump into him on the stairs. All morning long, I shoveled up fried eggs and set tea stewing, thinking Tom would come rattling through the door any moment, causing a scene. But no. No sign. It was the early afternoon before the answer to all those questions in my mind came rattling through the door. She took me, the policewoman, into the back shop, which was not the ideal tight corner to be told the man you... Well loved I suppose in spite of everything was dead or probably it wasn't like him like him at all some dramatic gesture out of an old film the kind of film you'd never catch Tom taking seriously clothes folded there on the beach edge of the water like he'd stepped clean out of them into the Irish Sea. Suicide? Tom? They asked me about his mental state. And what could I say? They'd already talked to the Chinese couple at the Toledo, and it turned out John had given them a statement. Well, as you see from the face, he wasn't very happy with me. Why? 
The honest truth is, well, what's that? Of course, Constable. Yeah. His girlfriend. Fiance, I believe. She and I, you understand? It's not criminal, is it? He had a history of, well, the very first time I met her, he just punched her in the mouth. I'm not much of a catch, I'll confess, but I'm a better man than that. Is it any wonder we, well, again, it's not a crime. Though obviously, he wasn't happy about it. What did I do? While he was pounding me into the floor, you mean? I don't recall doing anything much other than hurting. It was fairly psychotic sort of rage when it was done. The best I could do was drag myself upstairs, grope around for an elastoplast and an aspirin, and yeah, that's correct. I do own the place. Owning property isn't a crime either, is it? No, I do like to lead a quiet life, and I think I got away with it until last night. And then there was this whole question of the other guy, Bob. Bob that Tom complained about every time they were on shift together. That came up. Stories from the line manager about skirmishes between them. A couple of them ugly and physical. Now Bob had disappeared too. And not even clothes were left behind. Between the lines, it was like the cops thought he'd got drunk, had pushed too far with Tom and something ugly had happened. He'd faked Tom's suicide and done a disappearing act himself. Where then was Tom? His body, at least. The more you thought about it, the more your own skull sunk under the dark waves of confusion. Despair. Tom. Tom, you stupid, bloody-minded, beautiful, short-tempered, sweet, sentimental, thick-fisted, thuggish, gentle-hearted, idiot husband-to-be. What the fuck did you go and walk into? What deep water of one kind or another? My world, without him for all the trouble he caused me, was suddenly open and cold as some great windswept beach. The tide far out and nowhere I got lost. Night falling all around me. Thank God, then, for John. He left me all alone for a couple of days until one wet afternoon when the week I'd taken off work. I wandered back to that spot, just north of the South Pier, where Tom's clothes had been found. The spray and the rain cold in my face. I was, I suppose, I was doing my own brooding over what a rest at the bottom of the sea might feel like when suddenly he was there at my shoulder like that guardian angel I'd taken him for the moment we first met I'm sorry he said sorry I replied sorry I suppose for loving you for making him hate me enough to do well whatever it was he went and did bruises on his face were beginning to heal. I lightly stroked my fingers across one or two of them. He flinched. But when I tried to draw my hand away, he caught it and held it there. No. It hurts a little less when you do that. What the hell have we gone and stirred up? We've been who we are. Nobody can make an honest apology about that. 
think we've killed him. I think he killed himself. We can't allow that to stop us living. Living? I think I've lost the nap this last couple of days. I've been down in a dead place too. Come with me. I'll show you the way back out. He took me to the beach house. Right out on the prom by the North Pier. Those big windows looking straight onto the sand. And a slow sunset. The thin clouds like soft pink bodies sprawled across one another. I found myself taking his hand as the sky darkened. Clutching it. Something solid to cling to while the whole world felt like it was made of quicksand. We walked back, still hand in hand. What if somebody saw? The almost widow and her fancy man. But who cared? Not this widow. She needed all the comfort she could get. It was inevitable when we got back that we would go to my bed sit. Mine and Tom's, though of course Tom was not there to meet us. And inevitable we would wrap ourselves closer still the moment that door was closed. That we'd strip off one another's clothes, lie in that bed, make love surrounded by the left behind scraps of Tom's life. Love. Maybe it was rougher than that. Maybe I bit into him, urged him to come at me harder because numb is another word for not hurting. And that was us. For most of the rest of my week off for morning. Oh, and there was more than the fucking... One night he got some quality fish and chips and a couple of bottles of white wine and we ate it in the grand dining room of the old hotel concealed behind those locked folding doors. He dressed up and I dressed up and we lit a couple of candles and there, with the paintings of courting seniors and senoritas on the wall and a sea of empty tables and chairs all around us, we felt like the last people on an evacuated planet, which right there and then was maybe the way I wanted to feel. He put on some music some old-fashioned sort of music, last waltz in Vienna sort of stuff, and we danced. And we were like ghosts, two lusty ghosts in that secret old place. Afterwards, he led me up to bed. And as usual, it was my bed, which I was still struggling to forget was Tom's bed too. I kept waiting for that moment he'd invite me to his flat up above. Upstairs might be a bit less, you know, necrophiliac. Stars. Your place. As opposed to what was very nearly the marital bed down here. My place. I bet the fellow that owns this place has a better flat than this shoebox. Yeah. Yeah. Only one door up there. I bet you've got one of those grand suites from the old days. Not one of these chopped up little bedsits down here. It's not as grand as you might think. Show me. Not tonight. When? There's so much you don't know about me. 
yeah, an artist. Nobody's ever known anything about me about a point of that. No one. Not so. Oh, John. Sorry. What is it? Nothing. Indigestion. I've maybe got some Rennie somewhere. It's all right. I don't know what to do. I'll leave you. Let you get some sleep. What? But it was true. He was climbing out of bed, pulling on his clothes, heading out the door saying he'd see me tomorrow. I watched him go, then when the door closed, I found myself leaping up, pulling on some clothes of my own and hurrying out after him. He was already on the top floor, unlocking his door. I rushed up after him, reached the landing just as he was stepping through. I threw myself at the door, pushing it open, pushing him aside and stumbling into... It wasn't what I expected. A great, long, broad room. A converted attic, I suppose, from the exposed beams overhead. It seemed to run much the length of the building. And once, I suppose, made a classy sort of penthouse for the Toledo's wealthier guests. What with its line of French windows and little balconies beyond. All looking out onto the prom and the sea beyond. It could have been downright bloody palatial, but... Oh, John. What were you expecting? Bluebeard's playroom. Dracula's crypt. Dead bodies hanging from rafters, an axe on a block with blood and her clinging. Wasn't like that at all. He hadn't put on the light yet, so it was just the glow from the streetlights on the prom and the light of the moon and the reflection of its gleam off the sea, which together lit the place just enough to let me see how empty it was. Empty of decoration, empty of comfort. A great expanse of bare floorboards, dusty, dirty looking, mould climbing the walls and the only furniture, a narrow, sagging mattress on the floor. A few disordered sheets and a single slipless pillow on top of it. Nearby, a little pile of tatty looking paperbacks like you'd buy out the bin at Cancer Research and a can of baked beans with the end of a spoon sticking out of it. You live here? Like this? Suppose I do. Why? Why? You own this place. Taking rent from the rest of us and live up here like... Like? Look at it, John. It's one step away from sharing a park bench with that old wino that was raving outside the cafe last week. Maybe less than that. What kind of life is this? Well, maybe it's not life at all. Maybe I wasn't alive until you stumbled into me. Maybe I've been sitting and sleeping and pacing up here, and I've been deader than the dust in the air. I've heard you pacing. I've heard you pacing and wondered who the hell you were. Suddenly, I'm wondering it harder than ever. Maybe it's time I told you. Maybe it's time you did. Not tonight. Tomorrow. I'm not feeling sleepy just at the moment. Tomorrow. It needs to be tomorrow. No tide tomorrow. What does that mean? There's something I have to show you. To help you understand. John. Tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. He was easing me back towards the door. I suppose I resisted him, 
gently for a second or two. And then when I gave in and turned for the door, I flinched with surprise. For there was a face, a face like the face of an animal, a great roaring animal looking at me from the shadows on the back wall. But no, John had switched on the light, the single bare light bulb, and I saw what I was looking at was nothing more than another whirling pattern of rusty red mold spots on the wall. He eased me on out the door, looking at me across a vast, sad distance as he closed it, softly in my face. I got back downstairs to the sound of the phone ringing. It was the policewoman who'd broken to me the news about Tom. She was telling me not to make too much of this thing on the telly. As their spokesperson said in the interview, it was a case of journalists making connections where there was no evidence of any connections to be made. Not knowing what the hell she was on about, I was already fumbling for the remote to switch on the TV. Tom, in a grainy photo. Where the hell had they got that? It stared back at me from the screen. It was a piece from the local news at the tail end of the news at 10. Some taster for a documentary coming up the next week. Something about people disappearing in Blackpool. Making out there was some kind of trend of it over the last few years. Like one of those suicide epidemics. But, but saying this was unusual. Even if so, because the bodies were so rarely found. They even flashed up another picture of that kid I'd seen John chase off in the side streets. John. I was still awake at dawn. I got up, dressed, wandered out onto the prom for some fresh air. It was fresh enough, blowing hard in my face, great hillocks of clouds gathering above the receding tide. I watched her from my window. My first thought was that she was running, escaping. I'd let her walk away the night before with one hint too many in her sheet. But no. She simply crossed the road in the tram tracks, walked up into the prom, stood at the rail, looked out to the sea, stayed there a long time. Was I willing her to turn and run? To flee from me? And if I wished it, did I wish it for her sake? Or simply, selflessly, wish to be free myself, free to make the latest of my many swift, lonely flights into the far distance? No, John. What was said to happen had to happen. Storm. What? I looked around. From a bench behind me, a crumpled little figure was rising from the wrap of tattered newspapers. It was that old woman. The whiner. The one who's always roaming about, raving all kinds of gobbledygook. But not this morning. This morning, wrinkled hands rubbing sleep out of her small pinkish eyes. She seemed almost calm. Calm of a stone battered about all night by the waves and now left on the shingle, grey and plain, as the tide went out. Storm's coming. On good time. Here by night. Lashing the prom. Rattle the illuminations. 
sleep on a bench, then the whole heaven comes splashing down around you. They think you, you all think, don't you, I'm this loony talking nonsense. Isn't nonsense. I'm just someone lay down to hide from the horrors one day and the whole of the heavens fell down on my poor head. Your father, you are... And, and when I found my way here, horror was all I could see. Can't you see it, love? Them that can't be seen no more, can you hear them? Hear them whisper. Tell their tale. Mm. A tale of the way they went and the things what took them. Mm. So many this last long while. Young fellow. Just the other night, going into the pleasure beach, I could see the shadow stealing over him. What? I sat on the bench alongside her. Took her arm gently. Turning her to look me in the face. The breath between her crooked yellow dentures smelled like a spillage on the floor of a chemical factory. But the face behind those sags and wrinkles was the face of an ancient child. Shockingly innocent. You know. You know who I'm talking about. You know it's not just me talking nonsense. Because everyone says it's nonsense. Because no one's seen the things I've seen. What things? Tell me. I believe you, please. What have you seen? Seen? I seen a, a shadow walking about. Solid and cold as the sea. A plague on the world came down to a coat and a face. And a, a kiss. A kiss? A kiss. Like a slice through the skin of the world and the careless step slipping through. Watch your feet, girl. Open your eye. Open your eye and see. Sorry? See? Your eye. The black of your eye shining there. Shadow. See? See? What? The drum's coming. Our drum. John! I'd stepped into view just behind her, even as, yeah, a, a tram started to come our way along the track. The old woman leapt from her seat, sending tattered a newspaper fluttering into the air, grabbing up her yellow plastic handbag, skittering her loose slippers away across the puddled concrete. I see what I see, and don't you see what you see? And you can see it all, and still fall in the shadow. It, it's a fallen world, frankly, no saving it. It's all you. I love it here. Love you, Jimmy. But you can't stop the tide turning. Mm. Or the storm coming. Mm. Watch out. We have to catch this, Tram. We do? If I'm to show you what I have to show you. And yeah, I have to show you it. He caught my arm. A little roughly, I thought. And steered me through the opening door of the tram. I don't like being manhandled, I told him as he sat down alongside me. I've taken enough of that shit for one lifetime. I'm sure. And what does that mean? With all due respect to your late lamented fiancé, I don't doubt you're better off being spared the rougher side of his affections. 
rough side didn't start there. Not for me. Tom can't take all the blame. We're going all the way to Cleveland's. If you want to talk about it. Cleveland's. Why there? It's easier just to get there and let me show you. More mystery, huh? Mystery? Lovers are always a mystery to one another. And love the hope of solving it. I'll set you free of my mystery if you'll set me free of yours. There's no mystery to me. Would I be here with you if there wasn't? I look at you there. The sea through the window beyond you. And I know which is deeper and harder to get a hold of. Lots of rubbish floating round in that water there. Plastic bottles. Cornetto wrappers. Dog shit. Disappointing holidays of days gone by. It's a plain, untidy Lancashire sort of ocean. Like I'm just a plain, untidy Lancashire sort of girl. You're infinite to me. Me? I'm... I'm just lost and bobbing around and the shit that set me there is just the most common kind of shit. Bad stuff sometimes. Really bad, but nothing special. Tell me. What? On the tram? You can look at the world from a safe distance on the tram. There it goes. Gently passing by. You never leave behind the things that really leave a mark. I killed my father, you know. No, I don't think you mentioned it. Not literally, I mean... Not with a knife or a gun or poison in his tea, but... Killed him. All the same. With a curse. Oh, yeah. Same thing I did with Tom the other night. Wished he... Wished he just wasn't there. And then he wasn't. Sure as if... I killed him myself. Which is quite a thing to be showing off twice in your life. Some people hardly get through a day without cursing someone or other. It doesn't usually come true, does it? The world's not supposed to be set up that way. Sometimes it is. Go on. With my dad, it was because... Well... It's not the thing to be talking about on the tram. What? I shit my pants. No, no, don't look at me like that. I was... Six? Seven, maybe? Which is bad enough, I know. Shitting yourself at seven. At school which was worse. It was all down to Miss Logan, my teacher. Teacher and terror of my infancy. The wickedest witch from the scariest fairy tale lost a job in Fairyland and wound up teaching in Preston. Oh, no violence. Just a genius for making very small children feel very, very worthless. And I'd been up late the night before nursing dad through the come down from one of his crack and vodka highs. No homework done. So there she was, shouting about it in my face. The other kids staring, 
giggling, thanking God it wasn't them. Did I know how stupid and worthless I was? How far I was falling behind everyone else? How likely I was to get set back a year, back down amongst the real babies? Something in my tiny mind had had enough. I got up, started to walk out. She grabbed me by the arm, shook me like no teacher was supposed to grab you. But maybe she was having a hard day too. Screaming hard in my face, all long hair and spittle. Does your father know what a hopeless child you are? And I pulled free, arm almost wrenched out the socket, running for the door. Her screaming after me and running, I felt a spasm in my gut and the shit coming out. I ran. Her screeching me down the chipboard and linoleum corridor. What's that smell? She was calling, you filthy girl! Girl's toilet. I hurried in, slammed the door and bolt on a grey metal cubicle. Tried to ease down my skirt and pants. It maybe wasn't much, but in that small space, ugh. It looked like the worst mess. It smelt the worst stink in the world. I was rattling and tearing off clumps of toilet paper, trying to, you know, spoon it out with a crotch in my pants when... Are we there yet? So a little way to go. Go on. You don't want to hear the next bit. I do just the most horrible thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. I suspect it's not. Go on. The kid's face just came from nowhere, sliding under the cubicle door, the kid on his back, face grinning like a Halloween pumpkin. One of the older boys, not, not much older, I suppose, just enough to sniff an advantage, like a dog. He was laughing up at me, sniffing and laughing. I screamed at him to go away. Screamed, no. squeaked maybe. That pathetic little girl's voice. He was trying to squeeze the whole of his fat body under the cubicle door. I panicked. Half pulled up my pants and bolted the door, tried to run out. He caught me at my ankles. There was a whole gang of them there, standing by the sinks. I tried to run past them. They caught me. The first kid had snatched up a bit of shit cake toilet paper from the cubicle floor. Came forward. Others held me tighter. They smeared it all over my face. The bell rang. Playtime. I pulled free. Ran out. Out into a corridor, out into a playground filled with kids. By God, you must have been able to smell me in Sheffield. And you know what kids are like. All of them, all around me, faces like masks at a blood sacrifice, holding their noses and screaming and laughing. How did I get out of there? I, I think I climbed the fence. Ran home. Home to Dad, who was halfway through getting handy with one of his posh girl music students. Well, I was unexpected to say the least, looking and stinking like I'd crawled out of the bog. The girl dropped her acoustic guitar, went as pale as a Alice band, dragged my father's hand from under a skirt and ran off. Dad, he wrenched me off my feet, 
dragged me to the bathroom, smacking me about my shitty face, smacking me harder still in rage at what he was getting on his hands, tearing off my school uniform, running a steaming hot bath, telling me how disgusting I was. What a strain, a shame I was for him. Him, a poor widower, coping on his own. Then he shoved me naked in that searing hot water, pushing me right under it like he was trying to drown me. Boil the filth off me, not just wash it off. Oh, and by God, that water burned. On my skin, in my eyes, down my throat when I swallowed it. Burned like hell. Somewhere down in those depths, you see that, that little girl learned her lesson for the day. The lesson that hell was where she was. That this world, what you see of it about you every day is just a fake facade. Like all those fronts they put on the rides in the pleasure beach to make you think you're in a world of endless delight and fantasy. But the truth is much more cruel. Tear the paint and plastic aside and what's staring at you from the other side is horror, infinite horror, evil. A world of evil, total evil, and it's coming for you. And it'll kill you if it can. Dad realised he was hurting me. Drowning me even. So he dragged me up. Held me tight and he was weeping. Heaving with sobs, telling me he was sorry. Sorry, he loved me. He loved me, he'd never, ever, never again and so on and I held on rather than slip back under that burning water yet again then he lifted me from the bath toweled me dry carried me through to my little bed and I loved him oh god help me I loved him and even so in my secret heart I wished he died for what he'd done to me him and all the others Miss Logan and all those not so innocent children in this hell we all shared I prayed they'd all burn hotter than I had it was only so far as I knew dad who died from that curse just a couple of months later trivial accident so what you get when you're stoned and drunk and I loved him and I've been terrified of the world ever since and I've clung for shelter where I could and put up with a slap or two for the sake of survival because a slap is bad, but there's worse things than that. Is this Cleveland's coming up? Yes, it is. End of the line. Tell me your story now, I'll tell you mine. He held my hand tight as we got off the tram and walked the streets of Cleveland with its small shops and genteel cafes trying so hard not to show any of the razzmatazz of Blackpool down the road. And I clutched tight at him, despite his unnerving me more than ever. Why had I told him all that? All that that I'd never told anyone before. Not even Tom, my whole adult life. 
Even those who were there that day, who ruined my life forevermore, never knew the whole story. So who was he that had put all that in his hands? Did I think maybe he was as damaged as me? I knew at last why I'd fixed, risked everything upon her. If dogs can sniff cancers or drugs as sure as they can sniff one another's asses, I dare say one darkened heart that's known up close, the sheer horror of the world, can sense another just as lonely. The vast majority of one's fellow souls make it a point of being blind and blank to any such thing. We descended to the shingle where it sloped to the vast strength of naked sand left by the low tide. The wind was cold in our faces, stinking of salt and rotting seaweed. But I'd face so much worse on those. John? A little further out. A little? We're so far out already. What if the tide comes in? It won't. Not for a little bit. Not till I've shown you what I'm after. What exactly could you show me all the way out here? Other than a lot of damp sand and all that water out there waiting to rush in on us. I could show you what's right here at your feet. What? You see? All around us, here at the water's edge. Rocks? A lot of grey rocks standing out of the sand? They're not rocks. Look closer. Feel with your boots. All wrinkly. Wood, is it? That's right. So? A lot of driftwood, half buried in the sand. It's not driftwood. Well, what is it? It's a forest. A what? The remains of a forest. Petrified forest from centuries when the sea was much further out. The high tide line right about. Uh, and look here another paralysed tree no here look let me scrape a little sand aside what is it it's the kind of thing that gets found a lot out here by the intrepid it's the top of a gable a what of a house buried deep down there a house yeah there was a whole village here. Haven't you heard the story? I think I heard something. Something or other once. Story's true. Village, well, small settlement anyway, 500 years ago it was. Settlement of those putting themselves at the sheerest edge of the land they found steeped in sin. A sect led in a sectarian century by the usual charismatic leader, some pious visionary who didn't even leave a name to history. He had a notion he had seen, or almost seen, God himself in the wild dance of wind and waves and clouds out there. Among the little group he'd gathered was his own brother and the brother's wife. The story goes that this poor fanatic half mad with celibacy, coveted the brother's wife. She looked, well, if you could only see how you look, 
this Atlantic wind whipping that hair about your pale face, dark eyes, all that grey, nothingness just beyond the somethingness of you. Suppose the effect was something similar. At any rate, a whisper in the brother's ear said him wandering way out there, where, well, so he was told, the Lord's embrace awaited him. What awaited him was quick chance. The brother certainly was never seen again. Sister-in-law taken with ecstatic force. The little community fractured by suspicions of the truth of the matter. Most of them left. More isolated than ever and gnawed on by who can imagine what sort of guilt. He had a sharpened vision of the God he served. The vision told him to atone and by sacrifice, the sacrifice of the woman he had taken in lust. He was too devout to refuse. He dragged her out into the edge of these sands. For all her own tragic piety, she was alive enough, in love enough with breathing to scream, to struggle, to ask her lover, why? But he cut her wide. Her blood burst forth, scarlet wave breaking on the sand below, scarlet in the surf beyond. She shagged in his arms, kissed out her last breath in the bloodstain of his breast. He tore her heart free, held it high for their shared God to see. And that God gathered in a sudden storm. Talking of storms, Shouldn't we be getting back? That tide looks like it's turning. Wait. Listen. Out there, at last, after years of dreams and visionary glimpses, he finally saw the absolute truth. The truth of what he'd been worshipping. John. Listen. There it was out of the clouds above the sea, made of sea and made of clouds, made of ocean, depths and winter sun, and the spray of blood blowing in the earth, a god that galloped forth and filled the world and, and laughed in his face with the screech of a beast. What kind of god did he think he was worshipping? A god like a fatherly priest, fit to pat his head and lead him in prayer? This God, which he realised in the same instant was the only God this universe had, was a kind of animal, a laughing, shrieking, stinking animal throwing its mane back in the wind and mocking the grandeur of his sacrifice. Well, as he fell on his knees and his divinity blew apart in the wind, he heard hoofbeats approaching, an army almost. One of his disillusioned congregation, having hurried inland, raised the alarm. He glanced around. Orthodox clerics and exorcists and soldiers to do the rough stuff. They caught him, stripped him naked, began the purging of his soul then and there before an, an ogling crowd. Boiling water up the anus to purge devils from the bow, fingernails torn out and bones broken with hammers. 
When this failed to put him in the mood for confession, they slipped open arteries, poured in the molten metal. They tied his four limbs to four restless horses. And as these horses, whinnying, rearing, mane shaking, began splitting his body apart, he somehow found the strength to cry out to his god that he'd sooner be the soulmate of that mighty beast of a god than of these smaller, crueler fiends called out to be saved, whatever the price to be paid. And though deities have a poor record of showing up at crucifixions, this one did. For his death began gaining a purchase on his pain. He beheld through his molten tears that a great wave was rising out at sea, swooping fast for the land, turning the world black in its shadow as the bottom of the ocean. The wave hit cold as those depths of hell they say Satan sits in, uprooting buildings, skiving great trees, tumbling men and horses in its froth, sweeping all, all far inland, reshaping the whole coast as that devout sinner had extended the reach of blasphemy just one bit more. Nice ending, John. Very cheery. Well, let's be getting back. That's not the end. No? Really? What comes next? A tap dance? Listen! John, the tide. That. Nothing. Nothing compared to the wave that swept inland that day. Miles of flooding, thousands dead, but in the corner of a faraway flooded field, our God-haunted killer shook himself away. The guy you just said got molten what's-it poured in his veins while the horses tore him apart. Well, what's that? A continuity error? No. He suffered, as I've told you. But woke up all the same, his wounds healing already. That doesn't make sense. What miracle ever did. Miracle? Isn't that what you call it? When the divine intervened, he didn't know our poor suffering sinner wasn't ever to know if what happened to him was a punishment for blasphemy or a triple reward for his sacrifice for staying true to his terrible faith. One way or another, he lived anew. A significant chunk of his own soul bled and burned and washed away in the transition Plenty of space for the souls of lesser beings to be drunk down, filling the charred gaps in his own spirit. His great and terrible God had. And here's the joke. Made a miniature parody God out of him. With his own power over the life and death of others. For what's the point of being a god if you can't devour human souls in their millions? What kind of story is this? What if I told you it's my story? What? And that I need you to help make it a happier one. What? No. No way. That's crazy. You're crazy. Crazy for bringing me here, and I'm crazy for coming. Here's the tide, and I'm not crazy enough to hang about for that. Kate! 
but I was running, running fast, even as the icy bite of the incoming tide began surging under my feet, around my ankles, my calves, even my knees as I splashed on close to the steps of the prom. A few elderly strollers up there glowering at me like I was some kind of drugged up lunatic kid having a laugh. I lost my footing, fell forward, splashed right into the water. The shock of my head going under sending me leaping up, splashing up all the way to the promenade steps, scrambling clear of the waves. That man there, he... I cried to the OAPs. But looking back, I couldn't see anything but choppy grey waves. Soaked, shaking and chilled, I pushed past the figures gathering round me, hurried back towards the tram stop at the far end of the main shopping area. I got there just as the tram was coming in, headed back towards Blackpool. I hopped on board. At the very moment, I caught a voice at my back. Kate. It was him striding towards the open doors, looking less soaked and chilled than I was. The door started sliding shut. He reached for them, but a second too late. The doors closed and the tram pulled away, leaving him calling something I couldn't hear. I collapsed in the seat. Other passengers looking sidelong at the soaked spectacle of me. I gave another fierce shiver struggling to put together all that had just happened, all I'd just been told, all that I was running from, and what the hell was I supposed to do when I got to the other end of the line? listening to Kisses in the Dark, a pod play series from Mank Made Productions and Listening Dog Media. With performances from Kyle Rowe, Pamela Mayos, Stephen Gidwani, Patrick Price and Ryan Clayton. Also starring Rhiannon Clements and Con O'Neill. Written by Marty Ross. Marty Ross.